Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Gospel lesson this morning opens with our Lord's Beatitude. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, but have not heard it. He tells his disciples plainly that he is the Messiah, that the scriptures were that the scriptures were written by the prophets have all looked forward to him and pointed to his coming. Blessed indeed were they who saw this fulfillment in the flesh. After this, and maybe in response to it, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This lawyer is one who was an expert in the study of the Old Testament, especially in the laws of the Old Testament. The law is found in the Torah, or the five books of Moses. Having this expertise, he asks a question of our Lord in order to test him, attempting to trap Jesus in his words so that he may accuse him of some wrongdoing. He fully expects that Jesus will answer the question in a way that he himself does not agree with, and so he asks a simple question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Our Lord knows the heart of this lawyer. He knows that the lawyer is trying to test him, to tempt him. But he also knows that the lawyer has a fundamental problem in understanding the scriptures, the Torah. And so our Lord answers the lawyer's question with a question of his own in order to expose both of these issues. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Our Lord's question is simple and gets to the point. What is written in the law, in the Torah? What was written by Moses which he received from God? The lawyer, to his credit, has been an astute student of the scriptures and immediately comes to the correct answer, giving the two greatest commandments which summarize the entirety of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus praises him for correctly answering, even if he misunderstands what it means. For in Jesus and the lawyer, we see two different ways of understanding the Torah, one of them correct, the other not, one of grace, the other of self-righteousness. For example, regarding the lawyer's question, eternal life itself must be properly understood. In truth, eternal life is that true spiritual life which continues on even after death. It is life with a capital L, life which makes us spiritually alive, 
just as the soul makes us physically alive. Both natural life and spiritual life cannot be known by their essence, by what they are in and of themselves. They can only be known by the associated acts with them. For example, a heartbeat helps us know that someone is alive. Yet if you use all the machinery and scientific knowledge in the world to make a dead man's heart beat, you'll still be dead. A heartbeat is a function of a living person, not what makes someone alive. And here we see the different ways of understanding the Torah. When Jesus says, do this and you shall live, he is not commanding the lawyer with an imperative, do this, but he's speaking indicatively. He's saying, continue doing this and you shall live. That is, Jesus is speaking to the lawyer as someone who's already living. If you continue doing these living acts, you will live. Not if you wish to live, start doing this. He is saying, continue breathing and you shall live. Not start breathing and you will live. And this truth is found in the lawyer's answer even if he himself did not fully understand it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. This is the second half of the Shema, the creed of Israel. It is not simply a command, but it is much more. It is a confession of who God is. In full, it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Our Lord correctly sees this and interprets the whole of the Torah through the lens of the grace of God. The Lord, Yahweh, is the covenant name of God. It is the name that he gave to Moses at the burning bush, and it is the name by which he was to be known by, by Israel, in this covenant relationship. In saying, love the Lord your God, there is already an assumption of a relationship. It confesses that the Lord, the God of covenant faithfulness, is your God. It says he, out of his free grace and favor, has chosen Israel to be his people out of all the nations on earth. He by himself has redeemed Israel in fulfillment of his gracious promises from slavery. He is your God. He has made you his by his grace. He is unchanging and he will use his power as God to work on behalf of you, his covenant child. This is the context of the name and the command. This command was not given to anyone, but was given to those who were in relationship already with God. It was given to those who had already been elected and redeemed by him. The Lord your God, Jesus is saying, has made you alive. Since he has done this, continue in the ways of living which he has showed you. Love him not for a reward, but because he has loved you and graciously chosen you. 
Continue in this, and you will continue to live. Obedience, then, is the natural response of one who has faith in this God who has first loved us and has chosen us, chosen us of his own free will. But this is not how the lawyer sees this. The lawyer, for all his study of the Torah and the rest of the scriptures, was not focused on God's actions and on who God is, but instead focused strictly on the laws themselves. The lawyer saw the Torah not as the foundation of the covenant grounded upon the goodness, love, and salvation of God, but he saw it as a how-to-save-yourself manual. He overlooked the fact that the Torah and all the rest of the Old Testament scriptures teach that we are justified by God's grace through faith, and instead sees it as a way to make himself righteous, a step-by-step -step method for making yourself righteous through works of the law. Yet if this is what he wants, if he wants to be justified by his own works of the law rather than by God's grace through faith, then he must keep all of the law whole and undefiled. For whoever shall keep the law whole and yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of all of it. And so the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, wanting to not look foolish for asking such a question so easily answered, which was so simple that he looked simple for asking it, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And here our Lord gives an example of true neighborly love, which is motivated by God's love for us. He tells of a man who, in, who is half dead on the side of the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, after being robbed and beaten and left there, and then three men that came across him. First, to see him is a priest leaving Jerusalem after his duties in the temple were finished. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He was walking down the middle of the road, the safe place to walk on such a perilous and dangerous road, saw the man, saw his sorry state, and most likely heard him groaning. He looked at him and in response passed by on the other side. If this man was on the right, while walking down the center, he moved to the left. He did not want to come any nearer than necessary. If he passed by far enough away, if any saw him, they might think that he did not actually see this man. Or, because this is a dangerous road, maybe it's a trap. Maybe the man is simply pretending to be hurt so that his friends, bandits and robbers and brigands, could jump out of their hiding places and attack him. Likewise, a Levite, coming down from Jerusalem after finishing his duties in the temple, arrived at the place. He came to the spot where this happened, and unlike the priest who upon seeing him immediately went to the other side of the road, the Levite came and looked. He walked closer to the man, half dead and dying on the side of the road. He came closer that he might look at him, but after doing this, he too passed by on the other side. We can only imagine what the lawyer may have been thinking at this point about what would come next. Well, the priest didn't help. The Levite didn't help. Surely Jesus would now say a layman came by 
and he would help him to show that even those farthest away from the holiness of God can still do this. But that's not what happened. Instead, Jesus says, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Surely, the lawyer must have been thinking, this man will not help him. He's a Samaritan. He is unclean. To shake hands with Samaritan is the same level of defilement as eating pig's flesh. Yes, brothers and sisters, that was how the Jews saw the Samaritans at this time. That is how great the animosity. That to, in greeting, shake the hand of the Samaritan defiled you in the same way as if you had purposefully consumed swine's flesh. But it did not only go one way. That animosity was paid back by the Samaritans in kind. But our Lord uses this to teach the lawyer and us about the love of God. When the Samaritan comes, he goes to the man, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And his compassion is then acted out in the bandaging of his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, setting him on his own animals that he himself must now walk, and bringing him to an inn to take care of him. And even when he must leave to continue his journey, he does not leave the man without help, but gives money to an innkeeper to look after him and promises him to pay him back any extra he spends. How great is his compassion. When our Lord finishes the story, he asks another question of the lawyer, turning the question around. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? But Jesus now says, which one of these was the neighbor to this man? There can only be one answer, he who showed mercy. And our Lord replies, go and do likewise. But again, not imperatives, go and do, but continue going and continue doing likewise. And it's easy for us when we read this parable, this story, to fall into the same sort of trap that the lawyer fell into when he read the Torah. It's easy to moralize the story of the Good Samaritan and to see it as a way to earn life, or even just as the proper way to do things. But this turns that story, this beautiful demonstration of the gospel and the grace of God, into self-righteousness. It is just like the lawyer trying to turn the Torah into a checklist of how to earn life rather than the story of God's salvation of his people Israel and his will for the lives of those whom he has graciously elected and redeemed, even though they had no redeeming qualities. Yes, our Lord here is showing us of his love and compassion just as he did when in the Old Testament he called himself the Lord your God. Indeed, this parable is a demonstration of how our Lord has redeemed us by his grace. For we see and know by our Lord's actions that he himself is the archetype of the Good Samaritan. He is what the Good Samaritan points to primarily. In the primary interpretation of the parable, we see ourselves not in the Samaritan, but in the man half dead. For all mankind, unless first awakened to life by the gracious working of the Holy Spirit, is dead even while alive, spiritually dead because of sin, 
both inherited and committed, without capital L life to animate them, even though their soul animates the physical body and gives physical life, there is no life to animate them spiritually. And so we and all are, without the intervention of God, half dead, fully dead in relation to spiritual life, yet living in relation to physical life. Like the man in the parable, without outside intervention, without help from another, we would be doomed. But God has seen our state, and he has had compassion. Oh, how great is your compassion, faithful Father, God of grace, that with all our fallen race, in the depths of degradation, you had mercy so that we might be saved eternally. So writes pastor and hymn writer August Cruel. Yes, our life has, yes, our Lord has had compassion on us, and for this reason God sent his Son into the world. Thus Jesus comes into his own creation as an outsider, not accepted by his people or any people in order to save us. And see what our Lord has done for us. First he binds and treats our wounds. He goes to the very source of our sickness, our sin. He takes it upon himself so that in his death he might make atonement for it and destroy its power over us. This flows from his own love and compassion towards us. In order to heal our wounds, he takes on flesh that he might bear our sins and die. But also in taking on our flesh and living perfectly, he has also redeemed our flesh, so that we who are united to him by faith share in the benefits of his death and resurrection, including the promise of our own resurrection to life in bodies made whole and perfect, and souls made free of any stain or effect of sin, just as his body and soul are. Moreover, he comforts us with the healing medicines of the word and sacraments, applying to us the healing balm of the gospel, the good news of his salvation that he has won for us freely by his grace, which is received through faith. In the parable, the Samaritan did not stay with the injured man, but continued on his journey and provided the innkeeper with the resources to see to all the man's needs and healing. This is a shadow of the much greater action and substance of our Lord. For although our Lord has ascended to heaven, he has not left us like the Samaritan left the man. Yes, our Lord is no longer with us in the same way that he was with his disciples, our eyes do not see his flesh, our ears do not hear the words from his mouth, but he himself has promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Samaritan cared for the man by means of the innkeeper. Our Lord continues to care for us by means in the church. But as we said, he does so in a much more active way, for he has not left us. In an active way, he is active in his word through the Holy Spirit, just as he is active in holy baptism through his spirit to bring us life and the forgiveness of sins. And he himself is present with us in his, with his life-giving body and blood in the sacrament of the altar, which grants forgiveness, life, 
and salvation to all who eat and drink of it in faith. And so for those who eat and drink in faith, it is for us the medicine of immortality. As St. Ambrose wrote of the sacrament, because I am always sick, I always need to take the medicine. For as long as we're still on earth, we are sinful and in need of the Lord's forgiveness, healing, and aid. And so he himself provides for us these things within his church until he can gather his people to himself at the end. And now we see the proper way in which we relate to the Good Samaritan. Since God in Jesus Christ has already done all of this for us, since he has, out of his own grace, without any merit or worthiness in us, taken us who were lost, abandoned, half-dead on the road, and has done all things for our salvation and healing, let us imitate him. And since he promises to continue to love us, to care for us, to guide us, and to forgive us, since he continues to show mercy on us and have compassion on us, we who have received such mercy and compassion and love should likewise show it to others. Like a cup that is continuously poured into overflows its contents, the love of God ever fills us and flows out towards others. As our Lord's love was demonstrated to us in his sacrifice for sinners, so too our love is sacrificial, not seeking to gain anything for ourselves by that love, but rather done for the sake of another. And not just towards those we already know and those we already love, but our love and compassion should extend to any and all that we come across, that we might be a neighbor to them. For this is how our Lord has first loved us. And may God grant that we continue in his love and grace and come at last to life everlasting through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen.